This is the UK House Builder and Developer from Good to Great series with Gerard Ball, Managing Director of Human Capital Group, helping you build your UK house building teams and businesses fast. We find the top 15% of talent in the market by harnessing the power of big data, 24-7-365 digital automation platforms and inbound strategies. Leveraged by 20 years successful mid to senior level recruitment experience. This episode, Human Capital Group's Gerard Ball is joined by Tom Bloxham, MBE, owner of Urban Splash. Since its inception 25 years ago, Urban Splash has delivered more than 5,000 new homes, 2 million square foot of workspace and more than 60 regeneration projects. Here, Tom talks about his early days of getting the business off the ground, how he capitalised on the unique opportunities that surrounded him, such as the Manchester music scene, and his passion for designing and building inspiring spaces for people to live and work. Hi, Tom. Thank you very much for giving us your time and welcome to the show. Where I'd like to begin really is just to understand a little bit about Urban Splash and where you are as a business right at this very moment. Okay, well, I mean, Urban Splash, we try and do what it says in the tin and make a splash in our towns and cities. Privately, uh, private company, been going for 25 years, set it up exactly 25 years ago, actually. We're running a uh, running exhibition at the moment that's traveling around the country called It'll Never Work, because when we started, everybody said it'll never work. And whether through luck or judgment or chance or whatever, it se- seems to have worked, and mm. we're still here. In terms of the, the types of developments in the 25 years, now I do have some details, but how many developments have you been involved in? So we've done over a billion pounds worth of development, produced around 4,000 homes, about 2 million square feet of workspace, commercial space. And I suppose we're most famous for converting the old mills in Manchester. We helped invent the northern quarter in Manchester and developed in Castlefield and now in New Islington. Similar things in Liverpool. We've done big iconic buildings like Park Hill in Sheffield, a 1960s housing estate, the Tunda above the Boeing Shopping Centre in Birmingham. Also in Birmingham, we've done Fort Dunlop in Plymouth, Royal William Yard, Lakeshore in Bristol. The Midland Hotel in Morecambe, Mr. Mills in Bradford, um, <laughs> working in Smithstock in the northeast. So, you know, all over the all over England anyway, but nothing inside the M25 to date. And the types of developments, are they mainly regeneration developments or are they the new build developments as well, kind of outside of towns? Yeah. I mean, when we started, it was all refurbishing old buildings, restoring old buildings, and typically interesting listed buildings. From about uh, the late 1990s, early 2000s, we got into new build. Uh, we often did that through competition, building buildings like Timberwolf in Manchester, Chips, uh, Lakeshore mm. in Bristol, exciting architecture. And more recently, we've gone into housing rather than apartments, in particular, using modular construction to make our bespoke modular house, family house product. I definitely want to come back to that because that's really, really interesting part to what you are doing. In terms of your the, the demographic that you're aiming at, what's the type of the, the values of the apartments and, uh, and houses? We're not proud we'll sell to anybody. But, I mean, typically on our open sale, our apartments are cheapest will be just over £100,000. The most expensive houses we'll sell will be just under half a million pounds and mm-hmm. everything in between. We also do a lot of rental homes. We've got a portfolio manager of 800 rental homes. So it's right across the 10 years. 
it's right across the country, a, a huge variety. I suppose unified by one thing, which is a belief in great design and architecture. And we try to make our product different. We try to make it interesting. We like high ceilings. We like big windows. We like bespoke product. We like using great architects. I'm going to come back to the design process because it's like really evident from everything from your LinkedIn profile to your website to all of the newspaper articles about you that design is, is, is really, really a, a very strong core belief. Certainly it seems to yours, but I do want to come back to it because I think it's quite important. But before we go into that, so I've got a good idea of where Urban Splash is right now. Looking at your background, it's not the usual route when I interview other developers or house builders. Let's just find out a little bit about your background prior to development and what, what you were up to. You know, I understand you were doing your politics de- degree in university. Yeah, I went to Manchester University, studied politics, modern history, and I suppose all you really learn studying politics is whoever you vote for, the government always gets in. Mm-hmm. Someone else said politics was merely show business for ugly folk. So wasn't much chance of a career in that. Um, when I was at university, I started selling records. I was crap at that. I fairly swiftly onto selling posters. I was a bit better than that. Students wanted posters. And I was doing sort of some quite cool posters of bands. I was in Manchester, the right place at the right time. Ended up working with Happy Mondays and the Stone Roses and James and many of the Manchester bands. Supplying all over the world, Manchester and other posters. And then uh, from that, I wanted to get into retail. That really led me into property with a few diversions along the way of running a chain of bars, nightclubs, radio stations, but then really concentrating just on Urban Splash and trying to grow that business from the 90s onwards. So when you came into property development, I understand you were working on concept bars in in Liverpool with your co-founder of of Urban Splash. Is, is, Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, basically what happened is I'd set up, I suppose, an indoor market, you call it, called Liverpool Palace. In there, which initially was just a retail outlet, but like Affleck's Palace in Manchester, or the old Ken Market in London, um, mm. indoor markets, uh, selling cool gear, records, posters, T-shirts, jeans, badges, tattoos, all those sorts of things. And one of the guys in the work in the record shop asked me to rent an office, and it was like a disused office upstairs. It was lying entirely empty. I think I charged him ten a week, and it was Andy Carroll and James Barton who then set up the Cream organisation from there. Then we had a load of bands like The Farm and Oceanic and The Lars move in. And then we put the upstairs with a load of graphic designers and um, artists and fashion designers. Mm-hmm. Basically, there was nowhere for them to eat or drink. So initially, we set up a bar called Bar Bar, which is the first contemporary bar, I suppose, in Liverpool to open for whatever. We did this on a very tight budget, but developed it, initially leased it off to an operator. They swiftly went bankrupt, and then we took it over ourselves and ran it. And, you know, in the end, we were running quite a successful business and grew it, I think, to nine or 10 bars. What we invested 20 grand in, in, into initially. And then by the time, I think 2006, we sold it. It had eight or nine bars turning over 10 million and we sold it for 15 million pounds. So it was a, a good journey for us and a good time to get out as well. So then from the, um, you know, commercial property development, we're in Manchester, met Jonathan developing Bar Bar. And we sort of both realized at the same time that in Manchester and Liverpool, nobody lived in the city centers, mm. literally a couple of hundred people. Yet there are all these amazing buildings lying empty. The property industry had overlooked and was seen as being as valueless. And you're able to buy them as cheap as you could buy carpet, literally, um, for a few pounds a square foot. 
And so initially we said, let's buy this one building called Concert Square, an old chemical factory in the middle of Liverpool. Let's see if we can convince people to um, live in lofts. So we bought it. We developed it. We developed it very cheaply. It cost us £27 a square foot to convert it. We literally went to Ikea, bought the kitchens, took joiners off the street to um, fix them, but did something which was very unusual at the time, very unheard of. And we said, let's try it. We gave it a go and it worked. And it worked spectacularly well, actually. We sold them all by word of mouth. And we're selling them at a time ridiculously cheaply, like £60 a square foot, big lots, but really cool place to live. And that one worked. So we said, we'll try another one, another one, another one. You know, 25 years later, we're still partners, we're still mates, and we're still in business. When when you began the business, did you set off with a, I'm talking the property development residential side here, did you have a business plan, a a vision for the mid to long term growth? No, not as such, and certainly not one written down. It was like a project by project plan. But I think we knew then that we were onto something. And although the elders told it would never work, we had a real belief that people wanted to live in the city centres. We've been to New York and seen the Soho lofts. We've been to Amsterdam and Barcelona and seen how people live abroad. And we thought the same was equally true in Manchester or Liverpool or any northern towns or cities. So we had a real belief. We had a real belief in the importance of architecture and that people were, some people were retired of living in the sort of pastiche Victoriana and Edwardian build, being built by most house builders. Well, there's anything wrong with that, but some people want something different, and there was a very little alternative on show. And so we started at the same time as sort of Manhattan Loft Company, and showed there's real demand for these sorts of cool apartments in the north as well as the south. Just in, in the Manchester scene, did, did you have any other, like you talked about Manhattan Loft Company, predominantly down in, in London as far as I'm, I'm aware. Did you have any competition in, in the Manchester scene at the time? Well, there's always competition and every time you buy a building, lots of other people want to buy it. And there's always competition every time you're selling an apartment or a home. Other people want to sell the same homes or the second hand or new or whatever. So there's always a huge amount of competition. Nobody was really doing exactly the same stuff as us. And actually, in some ways, a big break was Tony Pidgey came up to Manchester at one point, saw what we were doing, um, hired the whole professional team, the architects of QSs, and effectively said, copy me that. That's how Cosby started up in Manchester. Uh, with their Princess Road development. That sort of gave us legitimacy, and from being a very niche maverick company, all of a sudden became mainstream, and people became much less frightened of investing in an urban splash home. And, you know, at the time, trying to sell the concepts to, you know, about urban living in Manchester, what were, well, I can imagine quite a few of the hurdles, but, you know, was there anything specific that you did to, to overcome those initial hurdles, you know, I mean, there's all sorts of things. Nobody knew what we were doing. Nobody really quite understood it. You know, and basically we did it by, as soon as we bought a place, the first thing we do is set up a show house or a show flat or a show loft in a corner of the building somewhere. So we would come and explore it and see it. We've always been quite good at marketing. So we do a lot of really funky brochures. We would throw parties inside the premises, almost like warehouse parties, just to show people what we were doing. There was residents. You know, the no estate agents really want to deal with it, so we'd sold them all ourselves. Initially, it was quite hard to get mortgages. You know, ironically, the Halifax was showing that advert, you know, with the, well, I can't remember the song, Easy As It Goes, with a guy living in a converted loft, yet they would lend on mixed-use buildings. You know, and gradually we had to overcome that, persuade them that it was a normal thing to do, and gradually became more and more popular, more and more the developers saw what we were doing and followed suit until it became very mainstream, until you can see, obviously, today in Manchester, you've got more cranes up in Manchester than any other city in Europe, apart from London. 
And then you know, we have touched on it. Design is, is, is seems to be a really big key component of Urban Splash. Is that from you or is that from your business partner? Well, it's from everybody. I mean, certainly not me. My only talent in life has been to surround myself with people who are cleverer, better, more talented than me. But we know a good designer when we see it. It's very important for us. We spend a lot of time and energy on doing it. Jonathan's a great designer, architect, albeit you know, we don't design anything in-house anymore. Everything is done working in partnership with great architects. Pick them um, by competition. And we're looking for the very best design skills in the world. Come and work with us. You know, just the strengths which you brought to the company, you know, particularly at the beginning, with the different disciplines involved, whether it's land planning, commercial design, I don't know, sales construction, what did you bring to the table? Well, I just, you- I'm the least qualified board member, and I'm not sure I've got any specific one of those skills, and certainly on all the things you mentioned there, there are other people in Urban Splash who are a lot better than, than me. I suppose if I bring anything, it is about being able to articulate a vision, to have an idea where we're heading as a company, to enthuse people, to take people on a journey with us, and really show them that we can actually achieve some great things if we put our mind to it. And then at the age of 35, you're awarded the, the MBE. Is that right? I think that was right. Out of interest, how, how does that come about? And what do you have to do to be awarded an MBE? Well, you never quite know because other people um, other people nominate you for it and there goes through quite a, a thorough a selection process out of cabinet office, I believe. But all I heard about it was I got home from work one day and my missus shows me a, a note, all a very fancy-looking envelope from Buckingham mm. Palace or somewhere. No, number 10 Downing Street, I think it was. And I thought, bloody hell, there was just after money from me for something or other, I didn't even open it for a day or two. And then you open it, you get a very nice letter which says, you know, Her Majesty the Queen is minded to award you an MBE. Should you be inclined to accept it? Can you let us know? And then we'll arrange it. But you mustn't tell anybody. And so then you accept it, but you can't tell anybody because it's all embargoed until the date of the awards, which I think either New Year's, New right. Year's Day or the Queen's birthday. And then Urban Splash, just at the moment, you know, you're doing some pretty interesting things. Um, first of all, just before I go on that, in terms of your locations, you, you, you talked about at the beginning that you you seem to have done developments right across the country from, from Manchester down to Plymouth and over to Bristol, etc. How do you choose where you're going to develop? I mean, historically, developments have usually chosen us throughout the other way around. And I suppose typically we've been given those bits of complicated, difficult projects that nobody else wants. Take some real imagination. I mean, increasingly, we've got a reputation for placemaking. We've got a reputation for changing areas around, for adding values. You know, some great examples of things like the old Cardham Estate in Manchester, where before we entered, houses were changing hands for eight or ten grand each, and now houses are going for half a million pounds. Or Park Hill in Sheffield, where it was seen as a real wasted uh, slum clearance zone. People wanted to demolish it, and now it's one of the most desirable places to live in Sheffield. And so I think as the reputation has grown, so people have been picking the phone up and calling us. Increasingly, though, now going forward, we are bidding for um, land through competitions, particularly from the public sector. We're all, on all five of Homes England's regional panels. Um, we're bidding for a fair bit of land. We recently won a scheme called Port Loop in Birmingham for 1,200 homes. Actually, an island site in the centre of Birmingham is an amazing site, just 10 minutes from Brunley Place, but the canal running all the way around it. We've just won a scheme um, in Milton Keynes, um, which again would be really exciting. And we're bidding for a big choice for a scheme near Cambridge and bidding for a few other schemes. So, absolutely, our aspiration is to be building thousands of homes a year rather than the hundreds we're currently 
producing thousands mm. a year all over the country. In terms of your, your, your expansion across the country and, and, and building more and, and, and more, is there plans for Urban Smash to expand and open up more regional offices? Very much to expand. Whether or not we open regional offices, probably not. We did have a string of regional offices and we decided to actually centralise. Our model was slightly different and we try to be very digitally minded and we try to do as much as we can on the website with regards to marketing, with, with regards to a a website where people can configure their own homes and make the choices. And we're trying to very much think about product as brand. What we would like to do is have regional show homes eventually. You know, eventually we've got a, a plan. So within, you know, 50 minutes drive, with an hour's drive, 80% of the population will have a show home so people can come and see what the homes are like. But then to be able to go home and actually design their own homes on their computers at home. And that leads us on to, you know, you've kind of, moved into building townhouses recently and you've started building with modular build. Is that correct? That, that's absolutely correct, yeah. And have you got your own factory? We have. We bought the factory earlier this year from SIG Systems and many of your listeners will, will, will know of. We bought their factory and we're using it now. And we believe it's the future. I mean, I believe industrialization, the Industrial Revolution wasn't something that simply happened for t- 20 years. You know, in Manchester 200 years ago, it's an ongoing process. More and more products are being produced in factories sources that my mother made in the kitchen when I was a kid, I now buy in the supermarket out of a packet or a jar. And housing is one of the last things to be industrialized. Every time I buy a new phone, the phones get cheaper, better, cheaper, better, and more features. I bought a new car, exactly the same as my last car 10 years ago. The one I bought this time was 30% cheaper, faster, more efficient, better equipped. Yet our houses are getting more and more expensive. And for my mind, not particularly better. And I believe the way to actually tackle that and change it in the long term is by making use of industrialization, industrial processes, and building homes in a factory. I also believe it's a way of actually helping with the skill shortage. You're all very aware of how difficult it is to get skilled labor. You know, relying on eternal labor went out in most industries in the Middle Ages. Um, you know, house building still relies on it to a large extent. I'm not knocking the house building industry at all. And, you know, the house builders are making loads of money, far more money, far much more money than Urban Splash are making or perhaps will ever make. And they're very, very efficient and they're building incredibly efficiently and doing an amazing job and very good at, at land buying. There's space for other technologies, for other entrants, for people to do things a bit differently. Our ambition is to get up to building a couple of thousand homes a year. And that is less than 1% of the market. And if we get there, I'll be very pleased. Just on that note, you, you talked about people entering the marketplace or people who are already in the marketplace. If, if you could give a, a young Tom Blocks, and not that you're that old Tom, but any advice when you first came into the industry or, or even advice that you might give yourself now, what, what, what would it be? I mean, the first advice is just start, yeah? Uh, get going and you know, learn from your mistakes. And the, the longer you leave it, the more you've got to lose. So start soon. But I suppose what, what I tell everybody, they want to get into property. I say, you become the world expert in property prices in your street or your village or your town. And actually know more than anybody else about the property prices. Because you always find there's something that's the wrong value comes up at some point. Either you, know, you need to change the use of it, or it's undervalued, or it's distressed sale, or it needs work done on it. But if you become that world expert of property price on your street, you will find anomaly somewhere, and you'll be able to make money through arbitrage on that. And then the other thing to do is just, you know, have an idea, do something a bit differently. Don't try to copy everybody else. Do what you think's right. Build somewhere where, you, where you'd want to live. 
the you thing's really good. And if you really like it, other people will like it as well. You're listening to that advice. So it sounds like you're following your own advice in terms of what Urban Slash is developing right now. So thank you very much for your time and speak to you soon. That's great. And if people want to know more, uh, the website's www.urbansplash or housebyurbansplash.co.uk. And as ever, we're on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and all the rest of it. But it's been great doing the interview. Thank you very much for listening to me. Thank you. Discover how to build your UK housebuilder business and attract the top 15% of leadership talent using one-to-many platforms, automation, and 24-7, 365 proven digital strategies before your competition. Be sure to subscribe for more podcasts from the Good to Great series, featuring leading voices from the UK housebuilding industry, from small to medium businesses to leading PLCs. Don't forget to rate and review so that we can continue to bring you the best content possible. For more information, call 0203 800 1080 or check out www.hc-group.co.uk and book a client or candidate blueprint strategy session.